Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the How to Be Anti-Racist podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing. I ask myself every week, why am I doing this for y'all? Why am I subjecting myself to um, other than the fact that I am learning so much? But why am I subjecting myself to the white gaze um, to do this? Because chapter nine, color. But I'm just going to get right on in it and get right on out. Y'all know how I'll do this. So chapter nine is about is entitled color. And the definition is, are two. Colorism, a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to inequities between light people and dark people supported by the racist ideas about light and dark people. Color. Anti-racism, a powerful collection of anti-racist policies that lead to equity between light people and dark people supported by the anti-racist ideas that light about light and dark people. So let me say, let me look at the notes that I put in the margins right at the top. I said, this chapter begins to explain why I no longer have no fucks to give for comfort for the comfort of white people. And I will always give black folks the benefit of the doubt. And then I write, um, this is the roots of internalized white supremacy. Besides respectability politics or civility politics, colorism is a very much rooted in the black community um, and is a a way, well, not just in the black community, but but in, in the black community in the U.S., I'll speak about that. And how um, it, white supremacy um, is, is used as a strategy. Well, white supremacy uses colorism as a strategy for discrimination and harm. And, um, hmm, okay. So, I, on page 109, I just put a note here. It says, my cornrows signified an anti-racist idea. My honey eyes a capitulation to assimilation. Together, they braided the assimilationist and anti-racist ideas of my dueling consciousness. I said, I wrote in my note, interesting duality. Um, and because I see it often, I saw it in myself. So again, this is why I don't, um, mm, I always, when I have to sit down and, and do these, I'm like, I regret that I ever said I was going to do these, but because um, uh, I know there are, um, this is, Hmm. Yeah, it's just like white people just, I'm in a Petri dish and you're just looking at stuff, you know, because you always need data and you're always just want to know why and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, ugh. but okay, we continue. Um, Also on page 109, I wanted to be black, but I didn't want to look black. Okay. The dueling consciousness of anti-racist pride and one's own race an assimilationist desire to be another race steers this paradoxical post-racial beauty ideal. It is simultaneously inclusive, multicultural, and new while remaining exclusive, Eurocentric, and old-fashioned. It is white beauty repackaged with dark hair. I had no idea my light eyes embodied the latest form of colorism, a term coined by the novelist Alice Walker in 19. 19- 
1983. The post-racial beauty ideal hides colorism, veils it as a euphemism. Colorism is a form of racism. To recognize colorism, we must first recognize that light people and dark people are two distinct racialized groups shaped by their own histories. Dark people, the unidentified racial group of darker skin, kinky hair, broader nose, noses, and lips span many races, ethnicities, and nationalities. Like people sometimes pass for white and may yet be accepted into whiteness so that white people can maintain majorities in countries like the U.S., where demographic trends threaten to relegate them to minority status. Some reformers project light people as the biracial key to racial harmony and embodiment of post-racial future. Had a conversation, um, I, I don't know how many of you remember, a few, maybe a month or so back, there was uh, when I, no, it was actually when I started the podcast and uh, there was a gentleman who um, who posted that um, the only way we could be anti-racist was to create a post-racial future. Um, and he was upset when I correctly said that what he was suggesting was breeding program. And, and he just was like, no, that's not what I mean. But I'm thinking, how do you get a post-racial future? How do you um, race, um, rear out, how do you breed out? I mean, cause he didn't want to use the word breed, but how do you get to this pulse, this biracial future you talk about if you're not talking about breeding, if you're not talking about white people having sex with other people. Um, and he just was having a problem with that. Um, Colorism is a collection of racist policies that causes inequities between light people and dark people. And these inequities are substantiated by racist ideas about light and dark people. Colorist ideas are also assimilist ideas, encouraging assimilation into or transformation into something close to the white body. Whew. To be an anti-racist is to focus on color lines as much as racial lines, knowing that color lines are especially harmful to dark people. When the gains of a multicolored race disproportionately flow to light people and the, lose, and the losses disproportionately flow to dark people, inequities between the races mirror inequities within the races. But because inequities between the races overshadow inequities within the races, dark people often fail to see colorism as they regularly experience it. Therefore, dark, dark people rarely protest policies that benefit light people. A skin color paradox. So what we're talking about there is, this is that insidiousness of it. Black people are having to deal with being at the bottom of the, um, when we talk about race, which we already know is made up, but okay, we've had covered that already, but I want to put that there. Um, we're seen at the bottom of that hierarchy. So colorism is a way for even within blackness for white supremacy to divide um, black people. Anti-dark colorism follows the logic of behavioral racism, linking behavior to color, studies show. White children attribute positivity to lighter skin and negativity to dark skin, a colorism that grows stronger as they get older. White people usually favor light skin politicians over dark skin politicians. 
dark-skinned ones. Dark African-Americans are disproportionately at risk for hypertension. Dark African-American students receive significantly lower GPAs than light students. Maybe because racist Americans have higher expectations of light students. People tend to remember educated black men as light-skinned even when their skin is dark. Is that why employers prefer light black men over dark black men regardless of qualification? Even dark Filipino men have lower incomes than their lighter peers in the U.S.? Dark immigrants in the U.S., no matter their place of origin, tend to have less wealth and income than light immigrants. When they arrive, light Latinx people receive higher wages and dark Latino people are more likely to be employed in ethnically homogenous job sites. So this is, again, about when people want to talk about unconscious bias. Many people would argue that they don't have these biases, but the science proves, the data proves that these biases exist. Skin color influences perceptions of attractiveness, most often for black women. As skin tone lightens, levels of self-esteem among black women rises, especially among low and middle income black women. And I put here as a note, in, internalized anti-blackness. Um, it's oh, so interesting because I've, I've said, I don't probably have, I don't know if I've said this before, but, um, white men have never been attracted to me. Um, and many of my, um, black friends, they've never been attracted to us. Um, and I know I'm cute. Um, and it's, it becomes a complete head fuck when society is telling you, to, you know, like the new norms, oh, date outside your race, you know, you're limiting yourself, why are you, you know, just staying with black men, or, you know, all those things that seem benign when people say it, you see it in articles, you see it in, but that's a complete mindfuck when you're a person who you're saying, you're telling a person to date a group of people who don't find you attractive. And then it becomes, again, like most white supremacy, it becomes my issue. It's something about me um, rather than the system of white supremacy, the system of whiteness that does not see me as attractive because I'm not light enough. I'm not close enough to white for them. This is, ugh, these are the things that I end up spending time, but it takes me so t much time to read these fucking chapters and create these videos because I just go into my head and I start thinking about instances where this shit shows up in my life and, and the damage it's done. I mean, the complete and utter damage this does on, on a person's self-esteem, a part of how a person sees themselves as valuable, be, even when no one is directly saying the words that white is, is white, white is right. It's communicated in all so many ways. And when the white man who is the dominant person on this fake made up hierarchy sees you as an animal and not worth anything, it becomes really interesting. Another interesting conversation I've had, and I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here, is it's been interesting, and we've had this in our, in our communities, black women, that we see successful relationships among strong black women with very wealthy white men. And you see it a lot. 
um, uh, it's been happening. Um, very strong and powerful white men seem to be able to get, I don't even say around or through or the status of having that much power and that much money, that much privilege. They're able to see the value and the beauty in powerful, strong black women. They're not intimidated by it. Um, and it's been an interesting um, thing to watch. And, but it's a conversation that happens in the black community, community among black women. Because as we look around and we say, who is our equal? And this is not a disparaging thing to black men, but who is not intimidated. Everybody wants us to take care of them. Who has the strength, the fortitude, the I don't give a fuckness to take care of us? And that's fucked up to me. That's really fucked up to me because it's the white savior shit again. It's on this again when I dig into stuff, it's just really interesting because on the surface it seems, okay, white men are you know, the real, excuse me, let me be very specific, powerful, wealthy white men aren't intimidated by our blackness as women. And yet it's with everything I know about white supremacy is still the white savior stuff. So it's, it's all very gross and disgusting when I think about it. And it's just, it's so dehumanizing and it feeds into the narrative that we aren't human. We're not women. And it's just, <sighs> Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, Dark African-Americans received the harshest prison sentences and more time behind bars. White male offenders with African facial features received harsher sentences than their all European peers. Black female students are nearly twice as likely to be suspended as white female students, while researchers found no disparity between light and white female students. Inequities between light and dark African African Americans can be as wide as inequities between black and white Americans. Um, and then I just wanted to bring up the, the good hair thing or the nappy headed thing that's on page 112 because I remember, um, I've talked about this before, that my texture of hair doesn't, is not the same as, uh, as my cousin's. On my mom, on my mother's side. Now, all of her sisters, my mom's sisters, have the same basically texture of hair, and it's a soft. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a softer. Well, not soft. It's a different kind of kink um, than what my cousins have. And I remember um, I used to it used to get on my nerves when I was younger when people were like, "Oh, you have good hair. Oh, you have good hair." And I was like, "Any hair is good." Um, that you can figure out something to do with it. Because even though I had quote-unquote good hair, my mom was not good at combing my hair, so I had two ponytails all the damn time. I didn't have the fancy styles. I couldn't wear braids because um, if I wear braids, like the micro braids, I can't even wear weaves and stuff now because my hair is so soft that it pulls, they pull out, they don't stay in. So I saw it as a disadvantage because I couldn't be as creative with my hair as, as, as other people could be cre- as creative with their hair. Um, but I always got the good, ha- you're good hair, um, you have good hair. And that was the whole thing about what are you? You can't be all black. Um, what you mix with Indians, that's what I said, what you mix with, what you mix with. Um, and so I, I really remember times where I thought 
as much as I was outwardly saying it, and it goes back to when he said he wanted to be back black, but didn't want to look black. It goes to, I, I wouldn't have articulated that at that time, but I can say that's, that's what it was because I, although it, I was like, every time someone asked me that question, I was like, you know, the eye roll, but to get asked that question, cause that meant my hair was better than everybody else's. So I internalized that shit. Um, and then at the bottom of 112, I hardly realized my own racist hypocrisy. I was turning the color hierarchy upside down, but the color hierarchy remained. Black people degraded and alienated light people with names. Light, bright, high yellow, red bone were never black enough. And so um, he, this goes into your first assignment for today um, because it talks about how, you know, dark-skinned people in their way of owning their own um, value turned on light-skinned people. So you have this light and you have this dark thing going on within um, the black community. So the first question for you on page, for page um, 112 is, do some research on are they black enough conversations regarding our current political candidates for president? And I know you've seen it on Twitter. Um, I know you've seen it elsewhere. I want you to think about and look at it, look at those conversations through the lens of what we're talking about here in colorism. So that's your first assignment. Um, and then on page one, on page 113, I highlighted this one, this one statement. It says, no racial group is pure was pure. Um, so I'm going to go back and say to read this whole paragraph. Now it says white and black people reject and envy light people. White people have historically employed the one drop rule that even one drop of black blood makes you black to bar light people from being pure whiteness. Dark people employ the two drop rule. As I call it, two drops of white blood makes you less black to bar light people from pure blackness. Light people implore the three drop rule, as I call it. Three drops of black blood mean that you're too dark to bar dark people from pure lightness. The drop rule of the drop rules of racial purity are, were, were, let me try that again. The drop rules of racial purity were mirages, just like the race themselves and the idea of racial blood no racial group is pure um to be anti-racist is not to reverse the beauty standard to be anti-racist is to eliminate any beauty standard based on skin and eye color hair texture facial and bodily features shared by groups to be anti-racist is to be is to diversify our standards of beauty like our standards of culture and and intelligence to see beauty equally in all skin colors broad and thin nose kinky and straight hair light and dark eyes to be anti-racist is to build and live in a beauty culture that accentuates instead of erases our natural beauty so your question homework question number two is from page 113 where are some current examples of the anti-racist perspective of eliminating beauty standards based on skin eye color hair texture facial and body features shared by groups what are some current examples of this happening now okay a beautiful body will be the more beautiful the whiter it is 
the slaveholders' philosophy extended this further. A body will be all the more superior the whiter it is. An enslaved body will be closer to the slaveholder the whiter it is. Some enslavers considered dark people more perfect than the so-called human mule, the mulatto, the biracial hybrid is a denigrated, unnatural offspring doomed by nature to work out its own destruction. And I, I put a note here because it's so, uh, and this is from 1843. And I said, uh, my question here is, how did these biracial hybrids come to be? This is a product of rape. So it's, it's again, black women not owning their bodies and this whole Sandley Hemings myth that she was his lover. She was his property. She could not say no. And so you have slave holders and their, you know, sons or whatever, raping black women and their offsprings being seen as unnatural, doomed um, by the nature, uh, by nature to work out its own destruction. As if these women had a choice, as if these children had a choice. Um, again, white supremacy puts the onus not on because whiteness is always the hero, the victim, and is never the villain. So when you have these mulatto children, these biracial children out of that are the result of being raped, then it is not the slaveholder who is the villain. He is the victim. And these black and brown, these mulatto children are the issue. Some abolitionists framed biracial light people as tragic mulattoes imprisoned by their own one drop of black blood. And then goes into this, like these different, like Harriet Beecher Stowe, Uncle Tom's Cabin. I mean, this stuff has been just been in our faces and been indoctrinated in us and in what is considered um, because Uncle Tom's Cabin, I'm sure everybody read that, but then you have books by black authors that are bland, banned. Um, so it, it, this, this is a picture to a whole nother conversation about, again, who gets to determine what is valuable, who gets to determine what narrative um, gets to move forward. And I want to speak to this quickly because this also I see we see this on on Twitter a lot where, you know, we are moving forward. We're challenging people's perspectives and when there are consequences, the narrative change. The consequences, the narrative, it becomes, oh, it's because we didn't like this person's political views. I don't even know this person's political views. I could care less about this person's political views. At this moment, they're on Twitter espousing something that's harmful, that use, it has nothing to do with their... Well, it's rooted in white supremacy, and their political views are usually rooted in white supremacy, so it's all connected. But at this moment, they're saying or done something in the tech community that we're, we're calling and we're challenging. So let's not um, allow these individuals to change, shift the narrative like that, to water these things down to these one instances um, as if we're hysterical and just nonsensical and we're just being over the top. Um, On page 116, light people, a sort of racial middle class below white people and above dark people. On page 117, Either racist policies or black inferiority explains why white people are wealthier, healthier, and more powerful than black people today. Either racist policies or dark inferiority explains why light people are more wealthy, healthier, and more powerful than dark people were in um, 1920. 
um, we were talking about W. They, this is talking about W.E.B. Du Bois because his talented tenth were um, all light-skinned people except for one, and he he shifted his and saw inherent white supremacist um, backing or the segregationist backing behind um, what he was doing um, or what his beliefs at the time. Um, and then on page one eighteen. In his 1988 film, School Days, Spike Lee satirized his experience in the late 1970s at historically black Morehouse College as a battle between dark skin, the Jigaboos, and light-skinned wannabes. In the 1980s, light children were adopted first, had higher incomes, and were less likely to be trapped in public housing and prisons. The lighter the child, the lighter the sentence became a popular anti-racist scene in the era of mass incarcerations in the surge of the 1990s. <clears throat> so this is your assignment for uh, number three from page 118. So if you have Netflix, I need you to watch the first, ep- first season of the Dear White People series that's on Netflix. Um, and just sit back and watch. Um, and, and this is, I should have had, I wanted to have a, um, a, um, content warning at the beginning of this episode, because definitely at this point, because when I want you to watch, it's not for you to, to pass judgment on black culture. I'm not having you watch it for that. I'm having you watch it so that you can see how we're not having the same experiences and how you are complicit in the creation of these systems. Uh, you benefit from the creation of these systems. So understand why you are watching these, these movies, um, these, these shows and these movies. It's not to pass judgment or to think you become some expert on the black experience, which you will never have. It is so you can see that we are not having the same experience, that you are complicit and you benefit unfairly from this colorism that is within the black community. So if you have Netflix, watch the first season of Dear White People. If you have Amazon, watch either the movie School Days or Dear White People. I think they're both um, $2.99 and $3.99 on Amazon Prime. Um, But watch those, watch one, both, I don't care, but watch one of these shows and you know why you're watching them. Okay. So, um, on page 119, I I highlighted skin bleaching products are raking in millions for U.S. companies. In India, fairness creams topped 200 million in 2014. Today, skin lighteners are used by 70% of women in Nigeria, 35% in South Africa, 59% in Tongo, and 40% in China, Malaysia, the Philippines, and South Korea. And my note is... No anti-blackness isn't just in the U.S. Because I get that all the time. People are like, oh, why are you talking about? Because this is in our companies, tech companies, in our tech communities, in our tech events worldwide. Anti-blackness has been a global export. Some white people have their own skincare addiction to reach a post-racial idea, tanning. Surveys show that people consider tan skin the replica skin of light people more attractive than naturally pale skin and dark skin. And we're going to end there because that tells you something about the psyche of white supremacy. It is damned if you do, damned if you don't. So white people 
are tanning themselves because they want to replicate white light light skin but these light skin individuals are considered to be human mules mulattoes denigrated natural uh, unnatural offspring so all of it is fucked up not it's like it's it's white supremacy is 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 designed to have everyone hate it hate themselves whites lights darks it's 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 there is no person in white supremacy even the white men who sit atop of it they are always anxious and angry and 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 worried about who's the next white man who's going to take their place or or where they fit in the hierarchy of whiteness among white men this system is fucking fucked for all of us no one is getting out of this shit unscathed we're all harmed by this so it takes all of us to do the work to 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 dismantle this shit so that generations from now they won't be dealing with this shit and it's not through fucking inbreeding it's i mean um breeding out the racist it's because and biracial people will tell you they still deal with white supremacy so it's that is not going to save us we need to deal with the systems of white supremacy so that we all can fucking breathe so that's the show for the day um have a wonderful day goodbye Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene movement by visiting the website at hashtagcallthescene.com. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.